Action Network NFL Podcast. Please, if you haven't already, subscribe. Consider leaving us a five-star review if you're feeling generous. And as always, download the Action Network app. It's Sunday night, and we're here to talk about what just went down in a very entertaining week 14. And look ahead to Monday night and Thursday night football, as always. I'm Ian Hart. It's director of the Fantasy Labs NFL product and Action Network analyst. Here with me, as always, Chris Raybon, co-host of I'll Take That Bet on ESPN+. Plus as well as senior editor and NFL analyst at Action Network and Fantasy Labs. Chris, what's going on, man? What is up, Ian? It was, uh, it was a very exciting week, I think. You know, started with that crazy Derrick Henry run and just continuing with some real close games. So excited to talk with you and break it all down. You said it, man. From uh, Derrick Henry to George Kittle to Amari Cooper, we had uh, some truly remarkable fantasy performances in the, what was the first week of the fantasy playoffs for a lot of people. So we'll get things started with some of our best and worst core plays of the week. Some players pay and some players slay. Who were the bankroll builders and bankroll killers from week 14? All right, Chris, hit me with your uh, best play of the week here. Definitely Julio Jones, you know, on DraftKings, he dropped uh, below 8K. Um, I felt like that was just a, a gimme spot for, for him and, I mean, ended up with a multi-touchdown game, which you don't see very often. So wasn't even expecting all that, but thought there, you know, that salary drop was kind of unwarranted given he went like two catches against Baltimore. You know, that's a really tough defense to, you know, to, to perform against it unless you're the Chiefs. So try to take advantage of that and it ended up uh, working out pretty well. For sure. Yeah, my uh, my best play of the week was George Kittle. Um, I, yeah, man, I was just uh, looking at these expensive tight ends. I uh, got burned enough on a... Uh, you know, Matt Lacoste last week and those guys that I, I was going to try to pay up a little more. But one of the good things in our pro model is this uh, handy little stat called leverage rating that basically takes uh, Sean Corner's projections with Adam Levitan's ownership projections and kind of tells you how GPP friendly these guys are. So obviously, guys with high ceilings and low ownership are going to be the kind of guys you want there. And out of Kelsey, Ertz, Ebron, Jared Cook, Kittle easily had the highest leverage rating of that group. And facing that banged-up Denver secondary, it just turned, worked out pretty well. All right, Chris, worst play of the week? Definitely Justin Jackson. You know, I thought he would get uh, more work than he did. I thought, you know, even if he wasn't going to be the lead back, that they were favored um, by a large enough spread that I thought he would close out the game, especially after Anthony Wynn's comments. But didn't really work out that way. Uh, Cincinnati stayed very competitive. Uh, Ecuador got banged up a couple times in the game, but Jackson wasn't really efficient. Got out touch 17 to nine, what didn't really make anything happen with his touches. So that was the one that uh, I'd like to have back a little bit. Yes, I, I know what you're talking about with the link quote. I forget, I forget what it was uh, specifically, but definitely sounded like Jackson was going to be more of a 1B guy this week. Yeah, my, my worst play of the week was having, I think, just too much Alvin Kamara. It was an awesome spot for him, but it is a situation now with Mark Ingram and Taysom Hill and even Drew Brees in these rushing touchdowns at some point. Like, there's just a lot of different guys in this Saints offense that are capable of scoring. And sure, Alvin Kamara is that guy plenty of times too, but he's just not the same kind of workload uh, kind of master that we see from Christian McCaffrey, Saquon Barkley, Ezekiel Elliott, guys that you know are understandably priced more. But I mean, if Kamara is not having that out-of-this-world efficiency, which he still has for a lot of this year, he's just not quite on that level, I think. so. And, uh, and it's crazy too because, like you said, you know, he, he has to get that – that crazy efficiency to kind of keep him, keep him in that top five, top six. And New Orleans, actually, they came into this week running the ball 33 and a half times per game, passing only 28 and a half times per game. But I actually think that hurts Kamara because uh, he did so much damage early in the year, not just as a runner, but as a receiver. We know he's only going to get like probably around a dozen carries or so per game now that Ingram's back. So I think that, that reduced passing volume for for the Saints is definitely hindering him. And, and this was also a game that uh, I think that the, a lot of sharp money was coming in here on the under. Uh, I was on the under in this game as well. So um, that's always something to keep in mind. You know, I think when we're like looking at fantasy is like certain, some of these games, they have like these higher totals and I, they they'll always kind of skew ownership in a certain direction. Like I think a lot of people got burned, ended up getting burned 
um, by a lot of these different plays in this game just because it wasn't a very high-scoring game at 28-14. Yeah, I'm pretty sure the over-under dropped like four and a half points or something uh, since the opening beginning of the week. Obviously, the weather planning to do it that. But, yeah, when, when, you, when you see signs like that, man, you got you to gotta consider it. And, and and just one final thing, the Saints now with that, uh, you know, 14 points allowed, they've now allowed 17 or fewer points in five straight games. First time they've done that since 06. Ooh, yeah. I mean, we saw the Buccaneers week one really just go off on the Saints and, you know, Rams, a couple other teams uh, were fine as well. But for the majority of the year, the Saints defense has been uh, pretty solid. And obviously, you know, they have one of the best run defenses in the entire league. So now that uh, Lattimore and company have shored things up in the secondary a little bit, Unit to be reckoned with. All right, and now it's time to talk about the biggest fantasy disappointment of the weekend. We're going to stay with this game. I'm the trash man. Just throw me in the trash. You're garbage, and you know it. Totally unreliable. Is that it? Undependable. Is that it? That's it. You've been told off. How do you like that? Good. This week's trash man is Chris Godwin. Oh, man. He, uh, he was on in 22.25% of the Millie Maker lineups. Third highest on wide receiver. Really one of those guys that, I don't know, I feel like you know some of these wide receivers, when they get an additional opportunity, you worry if they're going to just kind of get eaten alive more by the defenders because they're not good enough. Goblin isn't one of those guys. We've seen him in three games before Sunday without Deshaun Jackson. He went for 98 yards, 111 yards and a touchdown, 101 yards and a touchdown. Had consistently played well as kind of their number two outside receiver. Comes in today and only catches one of 10 targets for 13 scoreless yards. Could not get anything done. Didn't catch shadow coverage from Marshawn Lattimore. He was uh, seeing more Eli Apple and maybe some safety help, as uh, Chris will talk about a little bit. But, yeah, just probably the cherry on top of guys in this game that end up burning fantasy owners. Chris, thoughts on Chris Goblin? I mean, you know, that that's a tough one with the, you know, just actually getting the targets that we were looking for uh, and just not not performing. You know, I think the one thing, the question, you know, he did have the big game with, with James Winston the week before, but maybe, you know, we see kind of a one catch on 10 target thing. You also just wonder a little bit about the chemistry because, you know, uh, Winston was kind of in and out of the lineup. Godwin wasn't always a, a full-time guy either. And coming into the, the week, Winston had actually targeted, you know, Mike Evans the most, but he, his number two was Adam Humphrey. So you just kind of wonder if, you know, maybe Godwin was kind of not, not the guy with the, with the greatest chemistry with Winston compared to a guy like Evans, Humphreys, and then Cameron Brait, who Winston had, you know, great chemistry with going back a couple of years. So again, the Saints are just rolling on defense. They're, they're not giving up points. You know, they're going to be a force to reckon with in the playoffs. So definitely something to kind of watch out for in these last couple of weeks uh, in fantasy as well. Yeah, last guy particularly, you mentioned Cam Bray too, and we're seeing Winston just force him the ball in the red zone. They're, they're having success doing it, and that's just, I think when we have these offenses where there are three or four plenty capable pass game options, uh, it can be tough when there's this much uh, ownership on a guy and expectation uh, for him to produce. It just won't be as consistent as you know a true number one somewhere else. All right, now for the team that lost the public the most money this weekend, or as our old friend Joe Buck might put it. That is a disgusting act. That's right, Joe. The New England Patriots. So I was looking at the money line here just because we got to talk about this game. And mm-hmm. 84% of uh, public dollar bills were finding a way to back the Patriots. I'm sure they were a uh, you know lock in plenty of money line parlays for that early slate. Had a 27-21 halftime lead over the Dolphins. Brady was looking good. Looked like they were going to be coasting for this one. Dolphins kept things close, but uh, Patriots went ahead, got a pair of fourth-quarter field goals. They were up 33-28 with the Dolphins, only having one play to go. And, oh, my goodness, the Dolphins go 69 yards. Tannehill 20 yards downfield to Kenny Stills. He laterals it to Devontae Parker, gets it to Kenyon Drake. Drake makes three, four guys miss, last one being Rob Gronkowski around the 20-yard line, and he found a way into the end zone. It, it was one of the most outrageous <laughs> plays I've ever seen, man. Chris, did you see this happen live? or what, I what? did, and I was like, it was hilarious because I think the, the funniest thing was definitely Gronk at the end. Like, because like, he just like <laughs> comes into the screen. Like, if you're watching it, all of a sudden you see big number 87 in the screen, and he has an angle. Like, he has an angle, and he just, he's so big that he turned exactly how you would expect a dude as big as Gronk to turn and he just never had a chance like like he had no chance to catch Kenny Drake even though he should have like any normal defender would have so it was just like one of those situations where like Bill Belichick essentially outthought himself it, it reminded me of 
Real quick, different sport. It reminded me of when Greg Popovich took out Tim Duncan against yes. the Heat. Yes. And it was just like, come on, man. No, just <laughs> I, I see what you're thinking, but just, just chill. Just chill. That is a very good analogy because, it's, yeah, it's true. It's like, you know, the wizard of, of, of the league just outthinks themselves and it costs them in the most outrageous and unrepeatable of ways. Like, it was just, it was crazy. Uh, Kenyon Drake now has nine touchdowns in 13 games this year, even though he's averaging only 11 touches per game. Uh, you know, the Dolphins' playoff chances apparently before that play were uh, 1%. Afterward, they were 9% <laughs> according to ESPN. Like, like, that play swung their whole, like, season essentially. 7-6, still tied with Baltimore and Indy, but they would lose the tiebreakers to them. So uh, common games, tiebreaker to Baltimore, head-to-head tiebreaker to Indy. So, you know, still, still work to do for Miami, but – kind of saved their season. Drake was – so no one on the Dolphins had more than one catch except Kenny Stills, who had eight. So Drake was one of six Dolphins. Which one, I, don't, I don't even know how that's called a catch. Like, I'm just looking at the – it's like one for 55 and a touch. So I guess they get the catch to Drake, even though it was a lateral. I don't know how that works. But, right. hey, like, everyone has one catch except Kenny Stills. That's <laughs> the box score now. So, I mean, it was just – it was just outrageous, man. Uh, Dolphins got Minnesota, Jacksonville, at Buffalo – coming up so definitely could uh definitely could sneak in this was the most like dolphins <laughs> target distribution ever i mean <laughs> i don't think anyone's like denied the dolphins have some talent on offense i mean especially when they had jakeem grant albert wilson run around they've had speed all year but we just never know where the balls are gonna go man drake's balling out but continuously working behind frank gore hey he had over 100 total yards today i mean he's still doing his thing but it's just so hard to know how to attack this uh, offense from a fantasy standpoint every week. Yeah, I mean, I think for all the for all the Miami fans out there listening, you probably got to give a, a shout out to uh, to Ryan Tannehill because I feel like you know he came back and uh, you know everything seems to be humming a little more with him back in the lineup. You know, five and three as a starter this season, he had that uh, that really good record in 2016 as well. So he does, they don't throw it a lot, but getting it done somehow with Tannehill. Yeah, you can put together like a really pretty uh, tweet with kind of Tannehill's like rate stats in his ranks. But as soon as you start putting the volume into it, things go a little array. But hey, you know, Tannehill's just doing what the team's asking him to do and he is doing it well. All right. Now we're going to take a quick review of the winning millionaire maker lineup from CRK3250. Becoming a DFS millionaire? Talk about a dream come true. What DraftKings lineup lived a daily fantasy fantasy this weekend? All right. So Millionaire Maker was down to the wire. Literally last play, Dallas Cowboys defeated the Philadelphia Eagles thanks to Amari Cooper's three touchdowns. The last one was the final play of the main slate, and it earned CRK3250 $1 million American dollars. So this lineup had a Dak Prescott, Ezekiel Elliott, and Amari Cooper quarterback, running back, wide receiver, triplet stack. Uh, the other running back was Christian McCaffrey. The other wide receivers, uh, we got real cheap at Robert Foster from the Bills and Deshaun Hamilton from the Broncos. Tight end was Rob Gronkowski in his comeback week. He was actually pretty good other than his uh, missed tackle. The flex was Philip Lindsay, and the defense was the Giants going up against the infamous Mark Sanchez. Chris, thoughts on this million-dollar winning lineup? I mean, man, you know, that, that Robert Foster, uh, that, that's a really good one. I, I really like that play, uh, you know, getting him at 2% on really big. But I'll start with the, the Dak, Zeke, Cooper stack because that stack, you know, if you look at Dak Prescott's uh, correlations, if you click his player profile at Fantasy Labs for DraftKings, he has a, a 0.87 correlation with Amari Cooper coming into this game. So, and then he's also positively correlated with Zeke at 0.24. So that was a really good stack against uh, an Eagle defense that's, especially on the back end, you know, ha- had really been struggling. For Dak, it's 455 yards. He, his previous career high is 332, so he just beat his previous <laughs> career high by 123 yards. Amari really having a huge effect, um, and, it, and it really – that correlation really uh, helped that lineup out. And then, again, we see the chalk kind of running backs here where you don't really have to go that contrarian. At the running back position, you had Zeke, you had McCaffrey – you have Philip Lindsay, and all those guys are at least uh, 19% owned, but didn't matter. Uh, Deshaun Hamilton, I'm surprised he was only 4.5%, actually. I thought he would be a little bit higher because uh, he was at the minimum price. Um, was a guy that was popping at the top of uh, the Fantasy Labs models. And, um, you know, getting him at that price, I think, was really good. He got the touchdown at the end of the game. 
Foster, yeah. Foster is a guy, you know, speed guy. Josh Allen gives those kind of guys a chance because, you know, we've seen it with Zay Jones already. Um, I thought Zay Jones was, was a pretty good play, but it, did, it didn't work out. For him, uh, Foster ended up, you know, getting the the hundred yard game. He's he's had a couple of big games like this. Hard to predict, but um, he's there. He's a downfield guy for them, and Allen does have a a cannon. So um, you know that. And then Gronk, cheapest price. He, we have him on record on drafting. He was forty eight hundred. So um, anytime you see that, that's another one of those good plays. It's crazy that somehow like you didn't even need George Kittle to win a million dollars. Like that's crazy. Like now that I think about it, the fact that this lineup didn't have George Kittle. It's even, um, you know, even more credit to it. And, of course, you have that Giants defense, which is, um, you know, I think that was kind of the, uh, one of the, the chalk just plays in another position where you don't always have to go super against the grain because it's just really tough to, uh, to predict and, and, and find guys outside of, you know, find plays outside of the, the, the top few. Yeah, good breakdown there. It is funny Kittle didn't wind up in there. Uh, I think it's a kind of – you mentioned this last week because I think uh, Cordero Patterson was like in the – winning lineup and he only had like seven points it's, it's just really hard to nail every single one of these uh spots it seems like so you you will see this where you know you don't necessarily need to get the top guy at every position okay we will move on now and go over some of the key injuries of the week keep your head on a swivel for the injury report so it was not the healthiest week here. Uh, first one, I'm surprised we haven't had to talk about this guy until now, but Jordan Reed suffered a uh, sprained foot. He was forced out of the game early, did not return, did not look good. We do have confirmation it's a sprained foot. Tricky situation. I mean, Reed literally had surgery in the offseason to remove bones out of his foot. I mean, it was apparently working fine until now. He played every game up into and including this week, but obviously his status for next week's matchup against the Jaguars is in question. We're not sure if it's going to be Mark Sanchez, Josh Johnson, who, who the hell knows off the street under center for the Redskins next week. But Vernon Davis is going to be that featured tight end. Uh, I'm not sure if his salary is going to still be depressed or not, but you know we've seen him without Jordan Reed average around five targets per game, nine PPR points per game. Is there anything here with Davis that you're looking at? It seems like he's still got some wheels to him. Yeah, Davis is a guy who, you know, he could still go deep. Um, he tends to be one of their the receivers that they target deepest down the field. So um, definitely some upside there. The only thing you worry about is, you know, kind of what you alluded to. You have Josh Johnson probably starting at quarterback. Uh, next week, the, the Redskins play the Jaguars in uh, the lowest total game since 2012. The over-under opened at 36. So you wonder if there's enough kind of going on there with that offense in general to really even warrant playing anyone on that team. But I mean, Jacksonville, I think is a team that, especially for an offense like the Redskins, if you are going to throw on Jacksonville, I think you want to target your tight end because, you know, Jacksonville, obviously Bouye and Ramsey uh, on the outside are going to make life really tough uh, on your perimeter receivers. They rank, they came into the week ranked top eight in against wide receiver one and wide receiver two in DVOA. Uh, according to football outsiders, but a little, little worse versus tight ends, number eleven. So I think if if you need if you need Davis, you know, definitely pick him up, but definitely also keep expectations in check because Jacksonville's tough. Uh, and then the week after that, the, the fantasy Super Bowl, they go up against Tennessee, who is another team that's really limited tight ends this year. They're number seven in DVOA against the position, and they're av- they came into the week allowing only thirty nine schedule adjusted yards per game to tight ends. So two tough matchups for Davis. Two tough matchups, and again, playing this uh, Washington offense, very low floor, week-to-week basis. All right, Ben Roethlisberger got banged up right before halftime of the Steelers' loss to the Raiders today. Rib injury. He came back out to the sideline, and they basically just had Big Ben wait to see if the Steelers could hold on without him. The Raiders took a quick lead in the fourth quarter. Joshua Dobbs went out. Big Ben came in, let him do a touchdown led him to a potential game-tying field goal, and they missed it. So it didn't quite work out. But uh, Rothsburg's already came out, says he expects to play for next week's home date against the Patriots. We've seen Big Ben play banged up throughout his entire career. You know, I'm not too concerned about that. But what are your thoughts, I guess, more on the Steelers' offense moving forward? Because they've lost three straight. They need to win this next game. And we didn't see much out of this running game in week one without James Conner. Yeah, we definitely didn't see uh, much of from this running game. Jalen Samuels, 11 carries, 428 yards. So he did add uh, 64 yards on seven catches. So continues to look really good in the in the passing game. And I think that's how that's the best way to use him. Stephen Ridley, five carries, four yards. Did vulture a short touchdown from Samuels, but you know you kind of hit on it. I think the running the ball is not 
going to be there unless Connor's back. So I think they're going to continue to throw it around back at home. It's going to help out because, you know, we can't, we kind of continuously see this out of the Steelers when they go on the road. I mean, some, it happens more often in the, uh, in the one o'clock games, but it, in general, just on the road, they struggle. Um, usually a different team at home. Antonio Brown usually plays a lot better at home. I think he only had five catches for 35 yards. So I'm sure Matthew Friedman is pretty happy about that one. <laughs> <laughs> Shouts to Matt. You know, Juju Smith-Schuster continues to ball. I mean, they they hit a hook and ladder late in that game where I believe it was James Washington caught the ball. And Juju, Juju almost pulled the Kenyon Drake, essentially. I mean, before they missed that field goal, you know, Juju doesn't get – I think he got tripped up by a defender and um, ended up going out of the bounds and set, it sets up the winning field goal. But, I mean, for a second, it looked like he was gone. And so, you know, you still got Juju. You still got A.B., I think they'll be fine at home against the Pats. Obviously, the Pats, uh, you know, struggling a little bit on defense themselves, as we saw today. So I think Pittsburgh will be fine. Yeah, they'll be fine. It is funny how uh, the Raiders keep finding a way how to shut down these number one wide receivers. Raiders are inexplicably number one in DVOA against opposing number one receivers, but they're 32 in pass DVOA. So essentially taking away their opponents, number one, and letting this week, Juju Smith-Schuster, last week was Travis Kelsey, basically letting uh, anyone other than that number one guy rip them to shreds. All right, next injury we'll go over. LaShawn McCoy, oh my gosh. I was all over Shady this week in his home spot versus the Jets. He had uh, basically two touches before he suffered a hamstring injury, left early and did not return. Uh, We saw Chris Ivory get 12 carries after this. Marcus Murphy uh, had four and uh, uh, target. The interesting part of this was Isaiah McKenzie had uh, four carries, also had four catches and seven targets, kind of being used as a kind of running back wide receiver uh, hybrid role. I'm not sure how uh, much we we should expect this to keep moving forward in this Bills offense, but I guess what are your thoughts kind of in general with this Bills offense and how to approach it when we got Josh Allen basically running for 100 plus yards every week? I mean, I kind of like this Bills offense uh, with Josh Allen. I think, like, for fantasy, because the whole thing about this Bills, especially, well, DFS especially, it's, like, so cheap. So, Mm -hmm. I mean, now you're going to have Josh Allen. You're going to have all these cheap receivers that he's throwing deep to. You're going to have a cheap running back. So, I mean, I don't hate the Bills offense. I think it is a little bit going to – it's going to be tough to predict. You know, Zay Jones was kind of coming on these last couple games. We saw Foster have, like, a couple big games in the last four or five. You mentioned McKenzie. I think uh, they, they, you know, he's probably kind of their, I guess, Curtis Samuel. You would say or something like that. So yeah. uh, you know, we could see a guy, and you know, Josh Allen hasn't compared to Cam Newton in terms, not in terms of how good he is, but you know, kind of the same style of player, big guy, yeah. runs a little bit. So I think you could kind of see that kind of thing going on for for Buffalo, where Allen's going to continue to rack up rushing yards. It probably isn't going to be the best thing for the running backs because really. Their most efficient way, I think, to run is with Josh Allen because their offensive line has not has not been good this year. I, don't, I forget which. I think Shady was at about three point three yards or so per carry coming into this game. So the Bills, I mean, they're just running it, handing off and running, not really working out for them. But when Josh Allen takes it, you know that that kind of gives them a little bit more of an efficient means to gain yardage on the ground. So I think you're just going to continue to see more of the same. You know, Allen came into the week averaging six point eight yards the carry compared to McCoy 3.3 ivory 3.3 so you kind of see the difference right there in in how uh how they're going to run offense I think that's you're just going to kind of see them like you have to keep getting a look at Josh Allen I would think like I know they've been trying to limit his attempts but like why like why why would you even do that at this point you just you kind of need to see this guy throwing a football for you got a really good matchup coming up against the Lions they came into the week ranked 30th in DVOA against the pass and they're getting better against the runs um you know stopping and running the inside with snacks so I think it'll be another game where he goes on the perimeter next week and then finish up against the Patriots who we saw today gave up 34 to the Dolphins that's a good point where it seems like Allen's running is really the thing that ignites his offense and I've looked at Shady's kind of past splits before and we've seen him he's been as most efficient always with a Russian quarterback whether that be Vic or Tyrod Taylor you know once you kind of put a more of a pocket guy back there like a Nick Foles or something he just didn't have the same rush lanes I don't think we're getting that effect though from a Josh Allen run offense it's just not kind of the same read option type looks that maybe we're seeing from Lamar and like Dak Prescott type am I on to something there? Yeah, uh, definitely. It's definitely a little different. Although I will say that every week he seems to 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 kind of one of his receivers has a has a big game. Like if he continues to hit, you know, Robert Foster down the field, Zay Jones down the field, it'll definitely open things up for him a little bit. Because yeah, I don't think defenses are really respecting that pass game yet. But uh, if he kind of continues to to stretch the field deep vertically, I think he can kind of 
hang in there and, you know, they know what they have to do. They know they're not, they're going to be a traditional offense. You know, Josh Allen's still struggling a little bit with the accuracy, but uh, definitely I think better than they could have hoped for. And for next week, if McCoy's out, I think, you know, Chris Ivory, solid pickup, going to get some volume, but again, you know, yards per carry might not be there. It could be touchdown or bust. Marcus Murphy in a PPR league, perhaps, um, you know, could give you something because I think they'll use, they would use him as the, uh, as the passing down back. For sure. All right. Now we're going to move on to some notable standouts, disappointments with some workload notes. First things first, holy hell, Amari Cooper. I mean, this guy, since the Cowboys obtained him in week nine, the overhaul PPR wide receiver one, it's basically like if Amari Cooper is reaching his ceiling in these five weeks he's been with the Cowboys and is completely shining. 217 yards, three touchdowns, basically one more or less won the Cowboys NFC East today, barring a complete collapse. Chris, I mean, are we looking at just the next wide receiver one in Dallas for years to come? I think if they were smart, they, yeah, they would definitely do that because it's getting to the point where it's not just that you have this, a, a guy in Amari Cooper who can like be your wide receiver one. Uh, he, you know, him and Dak seem to have excellent chemistry and it, it seemed to happen really quickly. I mean, uh, you know, Amari Cooper, we always knew he was a talented guy, definitely made some mental mistakes. Uh, definitely at the same time, you know, Derek Carr, probably not the best quarterback for him. Not a guy that's looking to throw down the field as much or looking to hold the ball. While a guy like Amari Cooper, you know, develop, runs his routes and and kind of works his way open. So you know, Dak for you know, it's completely different. It's re- it's really quick and for him. So I think Dallas would definitely be smart to to lock him up. Gallup having a solid rookie year, uh, not too spectacular, but definitely solid enough to warrant. I. Th- a start next year on the outside. So I think you go forward with Cooper and Gallup on the outside, try to get a, a pass catch at tight end. Although we did see Blake Jarwin have a little bit of a coming out party today as well. Yeah. That, that willingness you mentioned uh, to actually kind of throw down field to Cooper, I think has been the big difference here. I mean, how many games did we have with a uh, Cooper and Carr where you just, you know, he only had one or two catches, but it was only on five targets or so. I mean, we've seen Dak consistently just throw the ball, and he got, he got picked off today trying to target Cooper uh, to the end zone on one of those plays, but he keeps going back to him. He keeps going back to him. This is really the first time we've ever seen Cooper be that true, true, true number one without anyone uh, taking that away from him. With that said, though, Gallup, I mean, I'm not sure if you saw the entire game, but Dak probably could have thrown for over 500 yards if he hit Gallup on a couple of those uh, deep balls where he got past his guy. I mean, it seems like Gallup could actually be – I don't know, a better number two than Terrence Williams. I don't think that's too crazy. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, and remember, I think it was the game before, or the Cowboys game where – the Saints game, excuse me, where Dak had Gallup open uh, open for a touchdown near the end of that game too, and then yeah. missed him. So it's, it's interesting because – and this is why I say, you know, lock up Amari because for whatever reason, Dak and Amari's chemistry is on point already. You, you can see it's still a work in progress with Gallup, but the fact, like you said, he's getting open, you know, I think is a positive sign. But here's an interesting thing because you kind of mentioned Carr too. And okay, you know, Carr, he would have all these kind of highs and lows with Carr and a lot of times wouldn't get many targets. Do you think Carr is just better when he doesn't have to force a guy the ball? Because the Oakland Raiders came into this week ranked number 12 in pass offense, DVOA. They they were able to win the game today. Carr, 25 of 34, 322 yards, two touchdowns, zero interceptions. Uh, I don't want to reevaluate my, <laughs> my, my, my Derek Carr is trash stance right now. You gotta be fair to these guys, man. We gotta, we gotta give them credit where credit is due. I think it might just be that, you know, again, Carr likes to get the ball out quickly. Uh, it just might be that he's just a better quarterback when it's a little bit more wide open. Cause you notice he's kind of going that cook a lot, but it's not necessarily the same thing, like going to a tight end targeting a tight end like the way you target a, a wide receiver because tight ends a little you know more in the middle of the field generally run routes that aren't quite as deep as a wide receiver so I think the fact that you're kind of seeing Cook emerge as cars go to guy and he was already the, the catch leader I know Cooper missed a couple games I think two or three games last year but uh, you know Cook was kind of that guy for a while so it might I think it might just be that like car car is just better when he doesn't have a alpha wide receiver kind of demanding the ball I think that makes sense. I think also maybe this game in particular, we could have seen a decent car game coming just because, I mean, I can't get that stat out of my head from the Steelers Chargers game where they covered Keenan Allen with a linebacker, <laughs> like on 15 of his targets or something stupid. So, I mean, if the Raiders 
did want to play. I mean, Steelers, you know, run a ton of zone and all this. It does make sense that Carr could kind of dink and dunk his way down the field against a team like the Steelers. Oh, no doubt. No doubt. And they, they, they did come into the game ranked somewhere in the bottom uh, 20s against tight ends in DVOA. I forget the exact. I'll look it up. But um, yeah, they, it's definitely it was definitely, I think, a friendly matchup for Carr in that sense. They were 28th against tight ends in DVOA. Cook had 116 yards. But at the same time, I think part of the reason they covered Allen with linebackers uh, well, at least from Mike, what Mike Tomlin said, which of course, you know, always got to take what these coaches say with a grain of salt, but Cam Sutton and uh, I think it was Morgan Burnett or one of their other uh, dime backs were out. So essentially they didn't really have a lot of bodies in that game. So, you know, I know, I know that played into it as well, but yeah, I mean, Pittsburgh on the road too is struggles, but got to give, got to give Carr some credit because even the season long metrics are kind of there for, for Oakland and they played about uh, 40% of the games, 33 to 40 or so percent of their games now without Cooper. Yeah, and I mean, he went 285 yards, three touchdowns the week before against the Chiefs. Derek Carr playing some good ball, and uh, <laughs> credit to you, Derek. Okay, now we're going to check out uh, another great quarterback offense, the Giants. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we're looking at the Saquon Barkley show now that uh, OBJ, his uh, quad hurt, so he wasn't able to suit up today. But, all right, so we saw basically Washington team that seemingly gave up on their season, so keep that in mind. But Saquon went off for... 170 yards rushing and a touchdown, another 27 yards receiving. I mean, this guy right now, 25.6 PPR points per game. That's the highest average in NFL history among rookie running backs. There's not even your Gale Sayers from the 60s that is better. Saquon is literally having the best rookie season we have ever seen from a running back. Chris, we had a fantasy draft tomorrow for the rest of the season. Would Saquon be the number one pick off the board? Yes, because he's doing this – with this offense like I I, want to say Todd Gurley still and I think honestly it's probably a toss-up but the fact that like Gurley did it once McVay came and got you know Goff got right and they got the offense humming and and Gurley you know he benefits from that because he scores unbelievable amounts of touchdowns. Saquon is doing all this with with Elon Manning like the ghost of Elon Manning and (laughs) uh, no really no offensive line I mean I'm tired of hearing these commentators complain about Saquon or even I, I think the I think it's fr- coming from the coaching staff himself but you know complaining about Saquon that he that he's trying to go take every run to the house like <laughs> is that like like the average run in the NFL is 4.2 or 4.3 depending on what season you're looking at right like you should be looking to take every run to the yeah. house like 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 the difference between getting like you know zero yards or two yards like I you know I get it like you'd want to have a, you know, early down success uh, and you want to keep the ahead of the chains, but like the frequency at which you're going to get stuff for losses, even if you are kind of that bounce it outside back is not going to be much different from what it would be. Like it's still going to be in within a certain range of plays. It's not like you're going to get stuffed on like 50% of your runs or anything like crazy like that. So it's like, you should be looking to bust long runs to the house because those are going to so outweigh those negative ones or zeros or, or whatever they're complaining about. Yeah, Saquon leads the league in 50-plus yard touchdowns. Maybe we shouldn't be complaining when the guy's trying to make an extra thing or two happen. And, I mean, I get it. I mean, he's been kind of doing it since Penn State. You see these games where, you know, he has a huge run, and then you take his, you know, other 15 carries, and he's only gained 25 yards. But I think he has even gotten better at that as the season's gone on. You know, when there is only a couple yards there, lower your shoulder and just go get the three yards. But – you know, if you got a home run hitter, let the guy swing for the fences. Don't try to curtail that. So let's assume OBJ happens to miss this next game here against Tennessee. I mean, we know Barkley's the RB1. What, what, what are you thinking here about this Giants receiving core uh, with the one game out? We saw Shepard kind of be the wide receiver one, but Coleman and some of these other guys are still playing involved. Yeah, I thought, you know, I think uh, Tower and Shepard each caught one ball and it was for a touchdown. I think Col- Coleman, though, let him in y- uh, those three guys in yards with 42 catches for 43. So I think they want to see more of Coleman. So I think he would stay involved if Beckham was out. Uh, ideally, Beckham would be back because Tennessee is actually well, came into the week number 32 in DVOA against number one wideouts, but they are uh, number four at defending backs out of the backfield so Tennessee the matchup actually would set up well for OBJ but you know we've seen Saquon kind of do it pretty much against any defense um I, I think it's uh it's going to continue to be Shepard you know but he's not a he's just not been a 
downfield guy, really, for, for the Giants this season. I think that's kind of hindering his numbers at times is that he's usually that slot receiver for Eli. You know, Eli not really being able to to hang in there long, not willing either. Um, and they are kind of making it work. You know, Eli's com- you know, his completion percentage is up. He's throwing touchdowns. So I think you're going to continue see- to see more of the same but that's not necessarily great for like these Sterling Shepard blow up games because his average depth of targets is 9.2. And, you know, that, that's, uh, you know, Coleman's up at 13, Russ Shepard's at 17.2, Beckham was at 12.3. So, you know, Shepard's kind of about three yards behind a lot of the other, these other key guys on the Giants in, in terms of target depth. So he has to do more work uh, after the catch if he's going to have these blow ups. All right, another offense that has been humming lately, the Cleveland Browns and Baker Mayfield. They've won three or four games. The Cleveland Browns have won another football game. Uh, defense, you know, they played the Texans last week, kind of got woken up a little bit there, uh, had, a, had a better matchup this time around. But, hey, Mayfield is playing and he's feeling dangerous. Since he uh, told reporters that he woke up feeling dangerous, completing 75% of his passes, 9.99 yards per attempt, nine touchdowns, three picks, making everyone that gave him the Drew Brees comparison at least look smart for this short period of time. We've seen Jarvis Landry balling out more, Nick Chubb doing his thing. Chris, I mean, the Browns look like they're for real. What do you think? Yeah, man. I mean, it's amazing what a, what a coach will do, huh? Um, so, <laughs> <laughs> or just the lack of a yeah, one of those additional by subtraction things, maybe whatever it is. I was about to say it'd be the removal of a coach. <laughs> yeah. we, we I always mean, have Freddie Kitchens. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But I mean, you know, I I, I don't know if you saw uh, Hard Knocks earlier this year, but it seemed like when whoever was on U Jackson staff. Essentially, it was like talking to a wall because I think it opened. I think the first or maybe it was one of the first. I don't know if it was the first episode, but one of the shows kind of at the beginning was showing Jackson discussing. I think it was like having guys sit out of practice, even though yeah, they were 100 uh, percent he healthy. And he got called out by Greg Warren. Yes. And he's like, look, this is just a decision <laughs> I need to kind of make. <laughs> he's like, this is what we're going to do. Like, everyone made really good points <laughs> to the contrary. And like, you, it's, and like Jackson then responds. He's like, OK. Thank you guys for, for making your points. You guys all make really good points. And we're going to do exactly what I said. Like, none of you said anything. Like, that was exactly how that went. So I don't know if, uh, if Kitchens or anyone else really had much, much input. So, uh, you know, credit to him as well. Uh, you know, the, the one thing is they are spreading the ball around more. You're seeing Landry, his target share since week nine, 19%. That is down. You know, Tyra Terra was targeting him on well over a quarter of his throws earlier in the year. And, you know, even through the first half of the season, Landry had a, a pretty huge target share, but that's kind of come down in the second half of the season. You're, you're seeing Njoku kind of fade a little bit too, though. That's kind of hurting Njoku as well. Um, you know, Njoku, Callaway, Duke Johnson, Chubb, Higgins, a bunch of these guys kind of in that, that 10%, eight, you know, eight to 12%, 13% target share range. So it makes it really difficult on a weekly basis for fantasy to kind of to target any of these receivers outside of Landry, you know, Chubb continues to to be used in a passing game. I think that's a huge positive for him and his value. He's been extremely consistent getting into the end zone almost every week. And uh, I think Chubb Mayfield Landry are kind of the, the only guys we can really depend on at this point. I mean, are you, do you, what do you think about any of these other Cleveland pass catchers? Man, I, I was on Antonio Callaway after uh, last week. You know, he had two 70-yard touchdowns and one drive called back. I thought maybe he could uh, do a little something more uh, this week, but that didn't work out. I think he nailed it, though. Like, Landry is that number one guy, and we saw them feed him the ball in rush attempts today. He tried to throw a pass. It seemed like Kitchens went out of his way to kind of get Landry uh, those extra targets and really be the guy for them, but... Yeah, man, behind that, I mean, there's upside there. Callaway's got speed. We've seen the Joku basically fly into the end zone from the five-yard line before. Duke Johnson's still sitting on the bench, uh, which I think just – I think it's just good because it helps the overall upside of the offense. But as far as fantasy goes, yeah, I don't, I don't know who to touch besides uh, Chubb, Baker, and Landry. Yeah, and I mean, how good is Chubb? I mean, Chubb is – because Duke Johnson, we I think he – you know, he, he had like a couple of these splash games when he actually got usage, and he's right back to just playing a, a bit role. And it's because Chubb is so good that you don't really want to take him off the field. And you, you just you feel like, hey, might as well just throw to him. Leave him on the field. So he's really going to – he's going to be up there in fantasy drafts next year as well. Yeah, I'm not sure where that uh, rumor got started that Chubb's uh, minus out of the backfield, but that guy is a legit weapon in the passing Ooh. game. I think once they uh, saw that, they they just said, sorry, Duke. But uh, 
Oh man, I I, I don't want to hate on Duke though. Free Duke Johnson. That that guy deserves to be a uh, RB one somewhere at some point. So I, I hope Duke gets his opportunity down the road. All right, now we're gonna take a look at Monday Night Football featuring the Vikings and Seahawks. This game will be in Seattle. Over under is at forty six points. Uh, the Seahawks open as minus three and a half point favorites. That's moved down to minus three. All right, we're going to start with the visitors. Uh, Vikings pass offense obviously flows through Adam Thielen and Stephon Diggs. Earlier in the season, Thielen was the clear-cut number one, but as the year's gone on, I think we've seen that more or less 1A, uh, 1B, any given week type of rotation kind of come to fruition. So my thoughts on the Seattle defense, I know they rank well in past DVOA. They've played well all season. Obviously, their run-first offense kind of helps play into that. But they remind me of the Texans in that they're a good defense, but I'm not buying their cornerbacks as being difference makers. And I think a good pair of receivers like this can take advantage of them. Don't be trying to knock in a cheap shot at my Texans just because they, they, they took an L today, man. <laughs> I, I, still, I still got them at 16-1 for the Super Bowl. Man, I'm, I'm riding with the Texans, man. Another one score getting rid. No, I, I agree. I think uh, you know Seattle definitely has trouble on the outside. At the cornerback position, they're able to make up for it with good situational play, and that is going to probably come into play against Minnesota because Minnesota has been average on, on third downs. They they haven't been particularly good in the red zone, so I think you know that it's going to kind of come down to that kind of those kind of plays when, when you talk about deciding this. But the targets are going to be there, I think, for Thielen. They're going to be there for Diggs. Th- Diggs is what is he on DraftKings? He's a thousand dollars cheaper. We have in our models, we have Thielen is the better cash play here. His median projection is about four and a half points higher, but the ceiling projections are, are neck and neck on DraftKings, just the point separating Thielen and Diggs there. So uh, I think you, you kind of play it a little different when, depending on whether you're in cash games or tournaments, but both of these guys are set up well for success. And it helps too, especially on DraftKings because no, no one on his team is averaging more than 12 and a half yards per catch. They're, they generally kind of throw it underneath and or they're not really doing too much down the field. And so that kind of helps because these guys are racking up receptions and, and that full PPR really does help. So um, because the offense is so concentrated through these two guys. So I think you're going to continue to see that and Dalvin Cook, hopefully, you know, he's been struggling um, with the volume a little bit, hasn't really gotten too much, too much volume on, in terms of his carries, but did see 10 targets last week. And I think that's another spot where you want to keep kind of feeding him the ball in a passing game because you need the ball in his hands to kind of function at your op- optimal level if you're in Minnesota. Because, again, you're not really getting those, uh, those explosive plays down the field. It's kind of more like a, a dink and dunk situation with them, even though they have these two really good receivers. Yeah, I feel like with Cook, we've seen him take, at least in that Patriots game, I mean, some of the runs he had, he just seemed like he had an extra step of explosiveness mm-hmm. that we hadn't seen uh, kind of since he returned from his injury. With that said, he hasn't had over 10 carries since week one. I mean, he's had a really high-level workload in like the five-week kind of sample size we have of him being completely healthy. Do you think we see them approach that, you know, 15 to 20 touch workload again this season at all? You know, even if they are approaching, we need to win this game mode and he seems to be healthier. I think they, I think he will because we saw glimpses of it when he first returned from injury. I believe they were, they said they were going to limit him to to 15 to 20 staffs again. Always got to take what these coaches say (laughs) with a grain of salt. But yeah, they ended up playing him for, a lot more than that. And so I think it's, it's only a matter of time when this guy's touching the ball before he makes another big play because he's, he's just a, a really talented guy with the ball in his hands. And so I think you will kind of see them go back to him. But the, the thing Minnesota really is, they, they just don't run. I don't even think it's a cook thing. They're just quick to abandon the run. And that's been the case for them for most of the season. So you have Seattle, then you have Miami, who's a pretty competitive team. Then you go to Detroit, a team that defends, especially with snacks, we talked about it earlier, defends the run better than the pass. And you close up with Chicago, that they're number one in run DVOA. They're number one against the pass as well. But those kind of defense, you're not really having much success running on Chicago either. So we could continue to see them abandon the run. But I think they're, we'll probably also see Cook continue to be really active in the pass game. Yeah, tough to be too consistent with the run game when that your offensive line isn't really oh, uh, yeah. controlling any of those battles. But 
other side of the ball, we have seen the Seahawks uh, offensive line control plenty of battles this year. And Chris Carson has been the main beneficiary of that. He uh, dislocated his finger last week, but he is uh, going to man up, fight through it. He's not even listed on the final injury report. He will be playing Monday night. Rashad Penny may not be. So this is a weird situation. He wasn't even on the injury report all week, so he practiced in full. And he just popped up uh, Saturday as questionable with an ankle injury. So really not sure what's going on there. Obviously, Mike Davis is always involved as well. But, Chris, what do you make of this uh, Seahawks backfield Monday night and moving forward? I think it will continue to be the Chris Carson show. They've Pete Cow has gushed about Chris Carson since earlier in the season. Even when – and keep going back to these, these coach quotes, but even when they've said, hey, we want to get – Rashad Penny more involved and they said that a couple of times this season it usually doesn't really come to fruition it usually ends up with Penny getting maybe 20% of the work and he made a a big play I think a week or I think it was last week he got into the end zone but and he and Penny has played a lot better over these last few weeks so uh, even with that you haven't really seen when, when Carson's healthy he's usually ends up being a guy I think that'll be how it is going forward when you have Mike Davis uh, he gives you he gives you something in the passing game as well so I think you'll continue to kind of see them rotate at least Davison, if Penny's not there behind Carson, but Carson's always going to kind of be that that weed guy if he's healthy. All right, so last thing with the Seahawks here. So we've seen them have this run-first offense all season, but Russell Wilson just keeps producing despite it. He's having an amazing year. Touchdown rates out of control. He's still multiple touchdown passes in all but one game this season, even though he's often you know throwing 30 or fewer passes. Russell Wilson literally has 158.3 pass rating when targeting Lockett this season. Couldn't be better. But we've also seen Baldwin kind of – he has been the de facto number one kind of in the games he's been in there. And we have David Moore, who one week seems like he's going to be the next big play threat. The next week he's working behind Jerome Brown some of these other guys. How are you approaching the Seahawks passing game? I think, you know, it, you do have to be a little bit careful because – it's, it's a situation where what the Seahawks do well, you mentioned it, they run the ball. They run the ball more than any team in the league. They're number one in, in attempts. They're number one in yards. Seahawks are also, you know, a shaky third down offense, even though they're running so well. So they're, they're number 19 in third down offense, but they, they've limited the turnovers. So in this game, the, the one thing you do worry about is that Minnesota is the number one third down defense in the league. They're, they're allowing opponents to convert only 29.9% of third down. So and they allow only 3.7 yards per carry. So that's number five. So it's, if Seattle can't get that run game going in this one, you, you wonder if they're going to kind of have to, they're going to have to really rely on these chunk plays. And you've, we've seen Wilson kind of do that in the past. And I think you would look to maybe a guy like Lockett, maybe you get him in the slot or something like that and, and get, and get to him downfield. But I think, I think those like Lockett is going to be key. Like I think the chunk plays there uh, are going to be key because I, I don't think it's going to be quite as easy to run the ball against Minnesota as it is against most of these, uh, most of the other opponents they face. Yeah. And Lockett is the primary candidate to potentially see shadow coverage from Xavier Rhodes, but he's in the slot, like almost 50% of his snaps anyway. And I will say Lockett is the kind of type of dynamic uh, deep threat receiver that can give a more physical type corner, like a Xavier Rhodes problem. So looking forward to that one. Uh, Primetime Seattle games are always a good time. All right, now we're going to look ahead to Thursday Night Football in Week 15 real quick. We have a good one. We have the Los Angeles Chargers traveling to Arrowhead to take on the Kansas City Chiefs. Over-unders at 56.5 points, expecting a lot of offense. And the Chiefs are 3.5-point favorites. So first thing I want to talk about here, Tyreek Hill went off today. You know, It seemed like they were really trying to get him extra involved with uh, Kelsey just going bonkers over the last two weeks. But he was banged up. He was limping along the sideline. At one point, he was actually questionable to return with a heel injury, came back out and, you know, looked fine, made the play of the game on that uh, extended fourth and sixth throw from Mahomes. But Sammy Watkins is supposed to miss the rest of the season with his foot injury. Basically, could you see this Chiefs offense maybe starting to wilt a little bit if we have a limited Tyreek Hill? Because I wouldn't say more important than Patrick Mahomes, but, I mean, Tyreek Hill might be the most, like, influential wide receiver to an offense in the league. Oh, yeah, definitely, you know, for what he does just in terms of stressing the defense out. But if he's in the lineup, I think it'll be, you know, it's it's okay because you can't take that chance that Tyreek Hill is at less than 100%. Because Tyreek Hill at 90% could probably still run by (laughs) everybody in the league. But this is, like, I I know why you brought this up. Because if Tyreek Hill is not at optimum strength, you wonder against this Chargers D because Travis Kelsey – 
has historically struggled against this defense. Earlier this season, week one, actually, six targets, one catch, six yards, no touchdowns for Kelsey. Then you look back to last season, six catches for 46 on seven targets and uh, another uh, and then a, a one catch for one yard on six targets. So Travis Kelsey really has had no no tangible success against his defense for quite some time. Uh, you know, Derwin James safety playing really well this year for for the Chargers in, in terms of limiting tight ends and what they do that the Chargers do rank first in the league number one in DVOA on passes against tight ends so I mean what do you you know do you, do you think like where do the Chiefs go I guess if you know Hill's banged up and, and Kelsey's kind of getting a little more held in check uh, you know are you looking back at your boy uh Conley because I mean the Chargers outside corners are also you know they're, they're not quite easy to deal with maybe we start seeing some maybe we see them rely on a running game yeah, man, it could be. It's a good point there with how well they've shut down Kelsey. Uh, mentioned earlier how the Raiders kind of sell out to stop a uh, number one wide receiver. It's almost like the opposite here because when we've seen Kelsey get completely shut down, we've seen uh, Ty Freak really have his way with Casey Hayward. He's gone uh, week one. He had 169 yards and two touchdowns. Last season, both games against the Chargers had at least 75 yards and a touchdown. But yeah, I mean, if Tyreek isn't at 100%, I think they're going to have to embrace the run game a little bit more. And it seems like that run game, at least for the time being, is only going to be Spencer Ware and Damian Williams. They signed Char Kendrick West this week. Everyone kind of assumed it was going to be thrown to a huge running back by committee timeshare, but he was inactive. And through two weeks, we've seen Spencer Ware, 29 rushes. Damian Williams had 13, whereas six targets, Williams has seven. So they're pretty even in the pass game. But I don't know, man. They, they've never, even with Hunt, they weren't like a dominating run blocking team. So I, I don't know if they need to be anyways. Uh, Reed's so good at scheming. Uh, they've been the kind of good calls regardless. But it makes sense, I guess, to feed Ware and Williams the ball, especially if they continue to at least have some, I mean, they're having more success than the Steelers, at least without Connor. Absolutely. And, you know, the, the run has been LA's weakness. Uh, they are, they, you know, the little bit banged up on the inside and, mm-hmm. For the season, they're 10, 11 spots lower in DVOA against the run. They're 18th in the league, where they came into week 13, seventh against the pass. So, uh, and I, I, I think I was impressed with you know Kansas City was able to run the ball today with Spencer Ware, 15 carries, 75 yards against a, a top five run defense. So, I think I think we'll, we'll probably see a little more dedication to the run if if uh, if Tyreek is limited anyway. But yeah, if he's healthy, I think. He's still going to be the guy, um, and he's the more likely of you know between the two stud guys, Hill and Kelsey, to to, to blow up just because the Chargers have been playing playing it so well against Kelsey. All right, we'll stick on the running game for a second. Go to the other side of the ball, though. Bunch of uncertainty in the Chargers' backfield all of a sudden. Melvin Gordon was having incredible season. Obviously suffered that knee injury. So Ian Rapport has uh, reported that Gordon could be back uh, this Thursday. It sounded like the injury wasn't as bad as they initially thought, and he had an outside chance of playing this week, but obviously wanted to keep him for this more high-leverage game Thursday night. It's really more urgent now, though, because Austin Eckler, who apparently has been dealing with uh, stingers throughout the last few weeks. I mean, that's why Coach Lynn did say during the week maybe they get Justin Jackson a little more involved. But, yeah, Adam Schefter has reported that Eckler did re-aggravate that stinger injury, and they're already reporting that it's going to be tough for him to be ready to go by Thursday night. So, ooh, Chris, if we're somehow looking at a scenario where Gordon and Eckler are out, how confident are you in the uh, Justin Jackson show? I mean, you know, I, I'm a fan of Jackson. I think he's – I still think he's capable of, of doing as much as, you know, any of these guys in this backfield just because you have Phillip Rivers and you, ha- you just have a good infrastructure where you don't have to be like a, a world beater. Like you don't have to be a Melvin Gordon to put up numbers in this backfield, especially if, if both of those guys are going to be out. So I would be, you know, fine playing Jackson. It would probably end up one of those situations where, you know, this is the week to play him. But, yeah, I mean, I, I think it was kind of silly – because they had Jackson available in this game and they kept running Eckler on the inside and he was having some success, but you know, late in that game, he, he runs on, he, he takes a carry inside and just gets blown up and he's just lying on the ground for, you know, I think they had to go to commercial break and I'm sure that was probably the start of it. Um, I think they said he, then he got, he got hurt again on the, uh, on the onside kick. So I think it is kind of a long shot at this point for him to play. I think it would be smart to kind of, not only get Eckler healthy, but make sure Gordon's healthy as well, because you can't afford to lose Gordon. You know, Eckler's obviously probably going to be the more, 
less durable back just because of the, the way he's built and the, what the injury that he's now struggling with. But so I think you can't afford to, to kind of have like a, a, a Melvin Gordon at 80% and then he re-aggravates whatever he's dealing with. Because did, I think that happened. Uh, that's how, that's how this happened last time. Wasn't he kind of questionable coming into the game and then he got, he kind of left midway through. I think, I think he like maybe in the first or second quarter. It was um, a really weird situation, man. Like the report that came out was that the Chargers basically didn't want Melvin Gordon to suit up and he more or less convinced them <laughs> to play. And then I think he got hurt when they were up like 20 plus in the fourth quarter, like probably shouldn't have even been out there. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, and so yeah, here we go. This, the running back usage hasn't always been, uh, I guess the strong point. It doesn't make <laughs> sense they, at all. <laughs> LA is doing, uh, but they're getting it done. You know, they're winning games. They're right here. I mean, they win this game and they're even with the Chiefs. So this is a key game for him. I wouldn't be surprised to see Melvin Gordon give it a go at less than full strength. Uh, you know, if that's, if that's the case, then, you know, it's going to be a really dicey situation. We're just going to have to kind of monitor the news and, and see what kind of work will we expect from him and, you know, see what's going on with Eckler. You know, is Jackson going to take that Eckler role? Is he not going to play at all? You know, we, it's just something we, we have to monitor. But I, I kind of wonder now because you brought up McCoy and McCoy's had a, a situation where I think two or three times now this year he's left early in games. And, I, you know, now Melvin Gordon's happened to him a couple of times. I just wonder if maybe – like once a guy leaves, you know, gets injured, I know there's like a higher chance of re-injury throughout the season. So that just makes these guys even more of like at risk, I think, to, to not complete a game. So it's it's a real it's going to be a really dicey situation. Yeah, especially with these teams that are seemingly actually taking things day by day and taking kind of the player's word for it over the doctors sometimes. So, I mean, it would just be better if they could really let these guys get 100% healthy and then let them back in their old roles. But all right, last thing on this game. Um, Quickly, the Chargers uh, receivers, we've seen Keenan Allen basically just take over this past game in recent weeks. Uh, he scored a touchdown in five straight, having a, his second, just massive second-half breakout uh, in a row. Chiefs, I'd say their best cornerback, Kendall Fuller, is their primary slot corner. He's a PFS number 18 overall cornerback this year. But, I mean, we saw Keenan roast him for 108 yards and a touchdown back in week one. Chiefs have always, you know, their primary zone defense kind of exposes themselves to slot receivers and uh, type of things that Allen's very good at. Do you see any, any chances here that Chiefs slowing down Keenan? Kind of fuller a linebacker? Nah. <laughs> nah, yeah. It's, uh, it's, 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 it's really tough to slow down Keenan Allen. I mean, I was hiring him coming into the season because he's just a wicked route runner, man. I mean, it's who, like, I don't, I couldn't really name a, a corner that you, you would trust to, to shut him down. Um, usually Keenan's slow games are just, you know, Chargers aren't really throwing the ball a lot or Tyrell Williams goes for, or Benjamin goes for like an 80 yard touchdown and, you know, there's not as much volume to go around. So, Keenan Allen, I think he's going to continue to ball again. The Chargers have a banged up, you know, banged up in, in the backfield, but a chance to, to pull even with the Chiefs. So they're definitely going to be going all out to, to win this game. The, the one thing we do see, though, very profitable trend, if you look at Bet Labs over at the Action Network, is that you know, the, home, the favorites on Thursday tend to dominate. And um, that is something to keep in mind as you're you know, setting DFS lineups is that the, the favorites, I think they've been, the, the cover rate is over 60% going all the way back to, to 2005 on Thursday. It's just really tough for in an inferior team to go play a better team on short rest. And so um, that is something to keep in mind that we, we potentially could see a letdown. But either way, I mean, Keenan Allen is going to get the volume. Uh, and then you know, behind him, it's going to be kind of a, you know, some weeks it's Tyrell, some weeks it's Mike. It's hard to kind of pick and choose, but both of those guys definitely, you know, affordable. Starting to see Travis Benjamin a little bit more involved as well. So I think got to keep him in mind as a dart throw as well. The tight ends have really been the guys that have been really not useful <laughs> in fantasy. I mean, they get a couple catches here and there, Virgil Green and, and Antonio Gates. But I think you're essentially trying to pair Keenan Allen with the Phillip Rivers. And then you're just kind of looking for that, that dart throw, like I, one of the Williamses or Benjamin to kind of hit as that, as that third guy in the stack. Yeah, I'll have to look at the snaps from today, but I know I, I had a bunch of Tyrell Williams today because when Mike and Travis have both been healthy, we've kind of seen them split snaps. You know, they're both capable yeah. of doing their thing, but it's been Tyrell has usually had the higher snap count. So they ha haven't quite transitioned to Mike Williams just being that more full-time tight end S red zone threat. But if they could just find a way to get all four of those receivers out there, that'd be, that'd be something. But looking forward to that game. All right, now it's time for our weekly bet. I am slowly but surely cl climbing my way out of a pitiful record. Chris is still up uh, 
10, 5, and 3 on the year. I'm 6, 10, and 2. Last week, Eagles and Redskins, I had Wentz. He had Ertz. I remember watching this sick to my stomach, just like, damn it, Chris beat me again. <laughs> uh, I'm on your leverage plays, but Ertz ended up going nine catches, 83 scoreless yards. So Wentz was able to beat that with 306 and two tutties. Chris, you had the skins. I had the under. Good times there. This week's bet, 46 over under Seahawks and the Vikings. The Seahawks right now are at minus three. What's your pick? I'm going Seahawks here because I, I like the uh, – actually, no, I'm going, I'm going with the over. I'm going with the over. I think, uh, I think there will be uh, so, some explosive plays happening in this game on both sides, and uh, I, think you're, I think you'll see this game be a little more high scoring than you might expect. So I'm going to go with the over. Two good quarterbacks for sure. I will take the Seahawks minus three. Uh, I, I was down the Seahawks going this year, you know, just didn't think they'd uh, make this whole new offense work. Seemed like they could maybe spiral out of control, but kudos to them just continuing to play good defense and run that ball. All right, um, highest scoring player, I am going to go with the, the receiver that I truly do think is better and has a higher ceiling, Stefan Diggs. You can take Thielen. So, mm, I, yeah, I got to take Thielen now because I was, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm thinking mm, – ah, M- no, I'm play. taking Russell Wilson. Give me oh, Russ. Oh. Give me Russ. <laughs> because, oh, yeah, no. I don't think – again, I don't think – I think I think that they're going to rely on Russ and, and he's going to be throwing it down the field a little bit more and trying to kind of pick up some chunks because I, I think they, they are going to struggle a little bit more than usual to run the ball, and I think they'll give Russ a little more uh, a little more freedom than they have in some of these other games to, to, to kind of uh, to, to kind of let it loose. Yeah, we haven't seen Russ uh, run as much this year as years past, but obviously always has that in his toolkit as well. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Hope you all had a great week 14. Here's to an even better week 15. Chris, any last words? Let's get this money.